pocket early in the morning. For most of us, there's one thing we absolutely have to have every morning. Coffee. Oh, for sure. I couldn't go about my day without at least two or five cups of coffee every morning. It's the best part of waking up and all that. Yeah, I like a cup of coffee. Don't have to be the fancy kind. I'm Jenny Kaplan. And I'm Lindsay Rupp. And today on Material World, we're talking about my favorite drink, coffee. We're digging into how drinks evolve from those giant tubs of coffee grounds to cans of draft lattes, and how the industry got crafty and reverted back to big business. Sixty-two percent of Americans drink coffee on a daily basis, according to the National Coffee Association's 2017 National Coffee Drinking Trends Consumption Tracking Report. That's up from 57 percent last year. In particular, gourmet coffee consumption grew. Fifty-nine percent of daily consumption was gourmet in this year's study, compared to 46 percent in 2012. Coffee's come a long way since those big Folgers and Maxwell House containers many of us grew up with. Now we hear about single-sourced coffee, fancy espresso-based drinks, and cold brew. The places we go to get coffee have changed a lot, too. People still make coffee in their homes, but many are Starbucks loyalists or love their local boutique coffee shop in the neighborhood. The craft coffee community is kind of like craft beer. Right. Dedicated consumers will go out of their way to get coffee from a more artisanal place. The business side feels a lot like craft beer, too. Big corporations have been on buying sprees, snatching up smaller roasters to appeal to coffee enthusiasts. We talked to Todd Carmichael, the co-founder of La Colombe Coffee, about how the drink has evolved. And it's come a long way. Well, yeah, it's been a ride. I mean, coffee from the turn of the century, so the 1900s to today, I mean, it's, you, could, you can't even almost reconcile the two of them. Coffee, at, you know, in the early 1900s was a commodity. All the coffees in the world were kind of blended together and kind of roasted the same profile and put in cans. The origins of coffee as we know it today can be traced back more than two decades. We spoke with Andrea Illy, chief executive officer of Illy Cafe and grandson of the founder of Illy, for an education on the evolution of coffee. Well, it's a continuous evolution, you know. It started over 20 years with a gourmet coffee. People uh, d- discovered quality thanks to Arabica beans, uh, thanks to espresso, espresso-based drinks. And this also created a lot of interest, you know, uh, also because the narrative of coffee did change dramatically. And f- since then, there has been a continuous evolution uh, initially, this coffee craze was out of home, you know, uh, coffee shops and um, mostly espresso-based drinks. And then it became, uh, you know, pure origins. That's also in- very interesting. And um, in the last, uh, let's say, 15 years, then the boom of uh, po- uh, capsule systems. Because capsule system allows you to get the same quality that you get in a coffee shop at home in a very convenient and a very consistent quality. And this made, because uh, cups are single served, this made the uh, amount of type of coffee that you can enjoy at home uh, ex- to explode. And in the meantime, um, 
you know, that quality and pleasure content was improving, this, which is the first virtue of coffee. One of the biggest players in all this is Starbucks. Our friend Craig Giamona covers Starbucks for Bloomberg. We asked him to help illustrate how Starbucks pushed the movement forward. Yeah, I mean, Starbucks is obviously a gigantic restaurant company, if you want to call it that. I mean, there's something like 13,000 Starbucks in the U.S. I mean, it's long been a joke that, you know, there's a Starbucks on every corner. I mean, there's that famous Onion article about uh, Starbucks opening a Starbucks in the bathroom of a Starbucks. So there's a lot of Starbucks. And it's certainly, I think, when you think about Starbucks, they are certainly credited with kind of bringing European coffee culture to the U.S. I mean, I think there's coffee snobs out there that might might not like that statement, but the bottom line is that it's true. I mean, you go back 20 years or 30 years and it was sort of Folgers and just giant things of canned coffee. And Starbucks kind of introduced, I think, better coffee to Americans. There is kind of a symbiosis between uh, Illy and Starbucks because Starbucks did interpret in the American way the authentic Italian coffee culture, which is, uh, I would say... Italy is uh, in, uh, a kind of uh, uh, interpreting in the best possible way. I don't say we are the only one, of course, but we try to interpret in the best possible way the Italian coffee heritage. Now, espresso, my grandfather has been the uh, you know, innovator with pressure espresso, and since then we have been the first exporting Italian espresso in the world and so on. And so Starbucks, by picking this uh, Italian uh, uh, coffee culture and uh, making it uh, adapted to to the American consumer, they've been excellent in uh, spreading the coffee culture, raising the level of awareness. And uh, so Americans literally discovered uh, high-quality coffee thanks to Starbucks. Going back to the days before Starbucks, the dollar cup of coffee at a, a deli or you know, even Dunkin' Donuts, I think it was just a cheaper kind of completely commodity market. And Starbucks introduced people to four and five dollar cups of coffee. And now it's gone beyond that. More recently, this continuous revolution is the is the new revolution is the so-called third wave, which is uh, about uh, micro roasters including coffee growers, roasting coffee and exporting roasted coffee from Nicaragua, from Costa Rica, from Colombia, wherever. It's about uh, really unique, uh, specific origin, qualities, preparations. It's about new drinks, like uh, cold brew is an amazing success that everybody drinks it, and it's, it's very interesting and so on. So the, the revolution continues. It's an ongoing revolution. We spoke with one such roaster, Todd Carmichael, who co-founded La Colombe Coffee in 1994. You heard from him at the top of the show. Todd has been in the coffee business for more than three decades. Also, fun fact, he was the first American to solo trek across Antarctica from the coast to the South Pole. I guess it started in 1982, where um, this small company in Seattle uh, was the first to uh, offer me a job in a warehouse, uh, uh, dragging grain sacks around. Uh, it was a small company at the time, three cafes, little roastery, and it was called Starbucks. Um, I was pursuing my degree in business, and you know, I was working in coffee, and I just never separated the two. And it's some, um, I don't know how many years later, but I'm still kind of doing the same thing. 
Lacalome now has about 26 cafes across the country, and its newest innovation is a canned draft latte. The drink is sold in stores across the country as part of the growing trend of grocers stocking more ready-to-drink brands. The draft latte's response to two things, really. You know, the first is that you know the, the consumer is interested in drinking their drinks cold, um, and it was so much so that it became you know hyper material that when I finally took the time to to look at the drink critically, I realized that there was a missing component. Uh, in a hot latte, you have three components. You have concentrated coffee, you have real milk, and you have the third, which is vapor. In, in, a, in the case of a hot drink, it's water vapor. And when I looked at the cold category, I realized that vapor piece was missing. Uh, you know, it's, these were, uh, they're not lattes, they're not cappuccinos, they're just kind of, it's coffee and milk, right? So I went out and the mission was to reintroduce vapor into a cold latte. And I did that by compressing nitrous oxide uh, into a liquid, mix that liquid with coffee and milk. And as long as it's under pressure, it's a liquid. But the moment you release the pressure, that liquid gas becomes that third ingredient, vapor. Uh, and in order to get that done commercially, um, I had to reinvent the, uh, the aluminum can. Increasingly, people are drinking their coffee cold. Grocery stores are giving more and more shelf space to cold brew and other kinds of fancy, ready-to-drink coffees. This is the ice age. I mean, uh, if you would have told me 25 years ago that more than half of the coffees consumed on premise would be cold, I wouldn't believe you. But that's, that's the case today. La Colombe is still pretty much independent. The majority of the company is owned by the billionaire founder of Chobani Yogurt. But more and more, big companies are buying up their smaller competitors. JAB Holding Company has acquired Keurig, Caribou Coffee, Pete's Coffee and Tea, Stumptown, and Intelligentsia. Big beverage players like Coke and Pepsi are also boosting their coffee portfolios. PepsiCo has long partnered with Starbucks to produce their ready-to-drink products, and Coca-Cola partners with Illy in the U.S. and has other brands around the world. Dr. Pepper's Snapple Group is also in the coffee game. They distribute high brew, which produces cold brew coffees. It did happen in, with beer. Same. Microbreweries going along with the consolidation of the big uh, brewing company. So at the same time, you have this large consolidation uh, made by mainly uh, GAB. They invested 40 billion U.S. dollars in the last five years in order to become a fast follower of uh, the leader Nestle, you know. And now they they are probably leading in volume, not not in value yet, but, you know, they are really, really big. And now you have two big groups consolidating over 40% of the coffee volume worldwide. Is this good? I'm not sure. But this is what is happening. On the opposite side, you have... A fragmentation of the coffee market with these tiny new companies like micro roasters uh, opening mac uh, micro stores, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with plenty of opportunity for diversification. So I believe that these micro roasters they will probably reach a, maybe a ten percent of the market, something like that. Uh, and this is a new dynamic. All, all in all, there will be definitely more product offering for the consumer, more uh, you know variety and the capacity to enjoy a cup of coffee in any possible conditions, consumption occasion. 
Most recently, Nestle bought a majority stake in Blue Bottle Coffee for four hundred and twenty-five million dollars. The basic broad stroke thing that's been happening is that big guys, so quote unquote big food, and there's almost nobody that's as big as Nestle, are buying up, you know, hip startups. Nestle holds the number one position in the global packaged coffee market. Number one, I think the big thing with Blue Bottle is that they sell a lot of stuff directly to customers. And these companies now, in the age of Amazon and Whole Foods, these companies are desperate to kind of know more about their customers, to get that data, and to have that relationship directly with the consumers. So, I mean, Blue Bottle has their cafes, but the cafes are almost kind of just like branding. Whereas I think seventy-five percent of the business is them selling coffee directly to consumers. So, I think that was probably a big part of it. And you know, Nestle also. Wants to get more into the U.S. They have the Nespresso business here, but you know that's a machine that really has played second fiddle to Keurig in the U.S. And they're not really, you know, I think Nestle wants a bigger presence in U.S. supermarkets. So that maybe they'll, you'll see them take the Blue Bottle brand and use their relationships that they have with every single supermarket in the U.S. and try to take the Blue Bottle brand wide as a premium brand. You know, because I think the European companies in particular have identified. The U.S. as the best consumer market in the world. I mean, Western Europe has certainly slowed down, and there's obviously a lot of money to be made on premium coffee in the U.S. And you know, I think that's has to be what Nestle is thinking about, which is、um, how much can we make on blue bottle ba- bags of blue bottle coffee? You know, in、uh, in Walmart and Kroger and Target and all these in all these stores at a time when Americans are clearly willing to kind of pay up for good coffee. We spoke with Blue Bottle founder James Freeman about the acquisition and why he chose to sell. You know, approximately sixty-eight percent of our company was owned by two hundred and fifty-two investors、um, before the transaction with Nestle. So one of the desiderata was just we could, you know, have one investor instead of two hundred fifty-two, even though our two hundred fifty-two were. Were great and supportive investors, so that was important. And also, the nature of our agreement with Nestle, our, our CEO Brian Mean, his name, he carved out a way for us to be, I think, out of the eight thousand food brands that they own. You know, we're the only standalone entity with a separate board. We don't have our like we're not in the Nestle system. Not in HR or finance or anything like that. So we have a separate governance, and you know our our, our plan is is the same as it always was: is to build more cafes and make more delicious coffee. That's what Nestle's invested in. La Colombe's Todd Carmichael says he's a fan of more competition because that leads to more innovative products.、Uh, for me, I, I don't want to see too much consolidation because I like the idea that there are lots of us working on the same problem. Competition is, is is one of the you know things that help drive the company and, and drive the industry. So too much, I don't like it. But having said that, you know the future is is pretty exciting for the small and the large. And you know having more players in it is best for everybody. Andrea Illy says there's actually room for many more roasters to get into the coffee game. If you make a comparison with wine, you know similar similar industry, very experiential product. 100% natural, blah blah, fantastic. Five millennia of history for wine, only one millennia of history for coffee. So, but follow、uh, coffee appears to to follow a similar trend, you know. And if you look at the structure of the wine industry now, is only about, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions 
of winemakers. In Italy, which is the leading country for wine, number one country, uh, wine producing country in the world, over 300,000 winemakers, you know. So 300,000, only 1,000 roasters. So there are probably 30,000 coffee roasters in the world. Maybe in 10 years will be 300,000. I mean, this is, this is probable. Also because I predict that another, you know, similarity uh, compared to wine. The, 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 the most effective strategy by which uh, wine, uh, let's say, uh, let's say uh, peasants growing grapes uh, came out from poverty because they were also poor and they were squeezed by winemakers to whom they were selling the grapes. They integrated vertically. They decided to become winemaker themselves. They made investment of a, of a cave of a, uh, and started producing wine themselves. This can occur in coffee as well. Since the majority of Americans drink coffee every day, it's easy to see why companies are going after it. The opportunity is enormous. Coffee is the, you know, by far the hippest possible uh, drink that you can have to such an extent that there are more people drinking coffee in the United States compared to people drinking tap water or, 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 or bottled water. Did you know that? 62% wow. of people drink coffee every day. Only 55% drink bottled water and only 47 drink uh, uh, tap water. So wow. that means that people literally feed and thirst themselves, you know, through, through coffee. Like 90% of people of coffee drinking age drink coffee, you know, whereas like 4% of them eat hummus. I right, think about it. The average American drinks 17 ounces of coffee a day. And you look around, you realize that's just about as much as they drink all, you know, beer, wine, and everything else together. It is the quintessential American beverage, coffee. That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, we're on Apple Podcasts, the Bloomberg Terminal, and anywhere you listen to shows like this. For more on coffee and all other things you drink and smoke, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan. For more on the other things you buy, like clothes, follow Lindsay at LC Rupp. Material World is produced by Magnus Henriksen and Liz Smith. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks. Someone actually called me Lorelai Gilmore over the weekend because I was drinking so much coffee. Who was it? It's girl Megan. She's Love like, that. oh, you're having a Lorelai Gilmore moment. Mm.